Let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 8. If you have a Bible or you use your app, it takes forever to open in here. And uh, we're going to, we're, this is sermon number 40 in the Matthew series. So if you haven't been here for the Matthew series, if you came during the marriage series we just did, you can jump online and, and listen to those. Um, the Gospel of Matthew is an early church discipleship manual. Like the early church would give the Gospel of Matthew to new Christians so they understood who Jesus was, how he lived, and what his mission was about. So that's why we're walking through the Gospel of Matthew very, very slowly to understand who Jesus is. If we can follow Jesus, a lot of the other things in our life fall into place. So we're sermon number 40 today. You can go back and listen to the other 39 if you're new, and uh, other, or you can just catch up from today, all right? So um, let's pray together. Jesus, our God, we pray to you today. Uh, specifically that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that as we uh, meditate on your word, um, that uh, the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you, that your spirit would speak to us at a soul level, at a heart level. Um, and then we just pray uh, that the words that, that I speak this morning would be um, your words, and that people would hear you and not hear just an opinion on your scripture or an opinion on your text. Um, God, we thank you for your word, and we approach it um, with that in mind. Amen. So, Matthew chapter 8 comes right after 7. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 uh, is what's commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew, he records the guy Matthew who wrote the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the first century. He actually records um, this grand teaching, this discourse, this great discourse that Jesus gives called the Sermon on the Mount. Because he was on, we would call a hill, but they called it a mountain. Um, and so Jesus preaches this thing, and it's just the most radical message. Like he takes the religious expectations of the day and flips them upside down. And says, you've heard this said, but I'm saying this. You've heard this is the way to follow God. But now this is the way. And Jesus is ushering in this. It's, it's almost like a new world order. It's a new covenant between God and man that's happening through um, the man, the God, Jesus, um, with all of, cre all of creation, with all humanity, uh, to bring them into relationship with God. So we're going to read through this, uh, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to go through um, uh, this, these three... Uh, healings that Jesus does today as he comes down off the mountain. We'll read them one at a time and kind of talk about them. And then I want to um, actually, uh, have, there's a couple observations that I want to uh, bring up uh, at the end. So we'll be doing this together and we'll read the stories. It'll be on the screen for you um, if you don't have a Bible. So the he is Jesus. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus is on this grand mountain. He gives this incredible teaching. And as he's walking down the mountain, he's built this big crowd. Now in Jesus' day, the Jewish people who lived around the city of Jerusalem in the country of Israel, they had this, it was almost like a messianic fever. 
Because the Roman Empire had oppressed them and they were living under severe taxation and like they would love to live under our taxation and uh, um, they were taxed, some people estimate as much as 90% and they lived off the, uh, this, this little bit that they had and just a random and, and just corruption and power. So this messianic fever that they had was someday God will send someone to overthrow those Romans. Someday God will free us from this external pressure that he's given us. And so when Jesus comes and he starts teaching, in the end of chapter 7 it says he starts teaching as someone with authority, they're like, maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the guy that God has sent. And crowds would go from guy to guy to guy. And a lot of these guys ended up dying in the wilderness because the Roman Empire was organized and these people were fanatics. All right. Um, there's actually recordings of terrorist organized Jewish terrorist organizations against the Romans because the Romans weren't in charge, so they wrote the history. Uh, and so uh, there was groups, terrorist groups, and guerrilla warfare groups who worked the Maccabean Revolt and the Sicarii, uh, who the Sicarii means the dagger men, and they would stab Romans randomly in crowds. All right. Um, this, it's just a the, they were hoping for someone to overthrow this brutal government that was, and it was brutal, to overthrow this oppressive government uh, that was ruling over them. So Jesus walks down this mountain and a man comes up to him with leprosy. Which doesn't mean, like our disease, leprosy today, is not equal, which if you're in the medical field, we call it Hansen's disease. It doesn't mean, uh, it's not the same. Leprosy would cover all skin diseases for the Jewish people. And there were laws ruling if you had skin diseases. Leviticus chapter 5, chapter 13, and chapter 14 cover these things. They didn't have cures. And so if you got leprosy, you would move outside of the community and live in a kind of a leper colony with other people that had leprosy until you were dead. And leprosy is a terrible disease. If you don't know, it kind of kills the feeling that you have. So if you accidentally rest your hand on the stove and it's on, you don't know. All right? Or if you step on something and it punctures your skin, you don't know. You just keep going. All right? And so it's not just a disease that kills and looks gross. It injures you and then you don't know that you're injured and then you die from those things. And so this leper comes in and if you can imagine the scene, Jesus is walking down the mountain big crowd and this man with leprosy walks in. Now if a man with leprosy walks in like right now and we were all Jewish people, everyone would get up and move like, oh my coffee's empty. Uh, you know and you just, you try to stay away from them because you know maybe it's contagious or maybe just being around them would be uh, you, you can imagine whatever our social awkwardness is or whatever it is in, in your uh, world it, it, you didn't even you didn't want to talk to them. You didn't want to sit in the same row as them. If they, like if we were passing offering later and they passed the bucket, you'd be like, oh, uh, I'm good. You know, like I don't need to touch that thing you just touched. And just stay away from them. So he walks up and the crowd is parting as, as this man with leprosy walks in. Uh, and then they were required to call out that they were unclean and those kinds of things. And he walks up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. He expresses a faith statement. He doesn't say, can you please make me clean? He says, you have the ability to make me clean. And then what does Jesus do? He breaks the rules right away. 
You'll find this uh, out about Jesus. If you don't know much about Jesus, think about rules and then think about somebody breaking them. Um, Jesus touches the guy with leprosy. If you touch the guy with leprosy, you are ceremonially unclean. Like if you have leprosy, you're not allowed to go into the Jewish temple and worship God to the full extent of your worship. Like the inner courts of worship, you can't go in there. If you touch someone with leprosy, you can't go in there. You've disqualified yourself socially. You've disqualified yourself religiously. Jesus touches the guy with leprosy. This would be like in 1991 if you touched someone with AIDS. Before anybody knew anything about what AIDS was. And we were worried about toilet seats and drinking fountains. When someone does that, if you are a basketball fan, when Isaiah Thomas kissed Magic Johnson on the cheek... It was shocking. And Jesus walks up and are there any basketball fans or am I just revealing something? <laughs> okay, thank you. All right, the two of us, the rest of you are like, what? <laughs> Everyone just was like, huh? Isaiah, what? I'm like, okay, watch more ESPN, people. <laughs> um, but uh, when Jesus touches the guy, everyone backs away from Jesus. Because Jesus, in their eyes, has just made himself unclean. Has just made himself ceremonially unacceptable. People can't hang out with Jesus anymore because of who Jesus is hanging out with. Jesus has made himself an unclean person. In our eyes, as religious people, Jesus is no longer good enough. He's not one of us. He can't serve as a leader in the church anymore because he touches lepers. Verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, which is the city Jesus hosts his ministry in, kind of his hometown as an adult, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. A centurion, a Roman centurion. Like a, he would be like a company commander in our army today. About a hundred guys answered to this guy. The centurion comes forward, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Now some translations have that as a question. If you have a different Bible, it says, like, I will come and heal him? Like a question. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled with those who followed him. And Jesus says this, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel or in the Jewish people have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you let it, mm, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Some Bibles, instead of the word servant, will have this, the centurion's boy, um, his little boy. That would be the same word in their culture. So a Gentile guy walks up to Jesus. Gentile people were ceremonially unclean. Gentile means not Jewish. And so for the Jewish people, there were two kinds of people. Jews and Gentiles. And if you were halfway between both, you were Gentile. And so for Jesus, 
if he is an Orthodox Jewish person, hanging out and talking with a Gentile person makes you ceremonially unclean. He actually, Jesus actually wasn't allowed religiously to go into the Gentile person's home. Because the Gentile person probably touched something unkosher, like they touched bacon, of course. And then that bacon, they touched their hands, and then it touched a cloth that they wiped their hands off on, and then that cloth touched the other cloth in the wash. Everything's unclean in the Gentile house. So you shouldn't go in there because you'll be unclean. When the Roman centurion says, you can heal my son, Jesus wants to go to his house. Jesus is looking to break rules. He just touched a guy with leprosy, but that wasn't good enough. Now let's go in a Gentile house. Right? It's like Jesus. Do you, like, do you not read any conservative religious books? Come on. <laughs> Jesus offers this, and then this centurion has the, has the audacity to say to Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. You just have to say it. And it happens. You don't just need to go and touch things. You carry authority. Jesus is amazed at this. Right? He's got all these people following him that want to be touched. And this guy, a non-Jewish person, someone who's outside of the religious people, says, Jesus, if you just say it, that will, that's all that's required. That's all that's needed. I'm a commander. I understand what command looks like. And Jesus, you carry that authority over sickness, over paralysis. Jesus turns around and uses the unclean, irreligious person as an example to all the religious people. At this moment, they check out. That's how the story goes. They're like, yeah, okay, you've got the leprosy crazy, right? He just touched a leprosy guy, and now he's gone all wonky. So Jesus is ceremonially unclean, and now he's looking to get dirtier, by hanging out with Gentiles. And then he's healing Gentile people. And then Jesus throws this out. And, and this is offensive. And I'm sorry, if you've gone to church your whole life, this is, we've got some bad news. Because Jesus refers to the Jewish people as sons of the kingdom, right? He says, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He says, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob. Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob are the fathers of the Jewish faith. And when they thought about the end of the world, the Messiah comes, they thought of a messianic banquet. And sitting at the table was called reclining at the table. It's a good idea. Put lazy boys around your dining room table. There's some things that they had figured out. And so when they think about when the Messiah comes, life will be like... A huge banquet where we sit down at the table and just the joy of eating together. When the Messiah comes, every day will be like that Thanksgiving dinner. This is what they thought. And Jesus says, when that great banquet comes, there will be all sorts of people from the East and all sorts of people from the West. People who aren't Jewish. And for the Jewish people, this was shocking. Jesus is saying... Listen, religious people, I know you've got this idea of what's coming, but when it all goes down, there will all be all sorts of people that were too liberal for you and too conservative for you. There'll be all sorts of people that were too irreligious for you. 
There'll be all sorts of people that were out of bounds of your definition of what it is to follow God. All sorts of them who get to recline at the table. Well, that's kind of offensive because we've kind of got God figured out and Jesus is touching lepers, right? Then he goes, (laughs) this is why I get along with Jesus. He goes further. He's like, not only are a bunch of irreligious people going to be there, Like when you get to heaven, there's going to be a bunch of people you're like, how did they get here? (laughs) If you're religious, that's what you're going to say. And Jesus is going to say, that's what we're saying about you. (laughs) Because listen to this. Jesus says, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus describes hell, he uses the words weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus says, when it all goes down and we're in heaven, there's going to be all sorts of irreligious people there that you didn't think so. And there's going to be all sorts of religious people burning and weeping and gnashing their teeth in hell. You're welcome. (laughs) Like, how about that for offensive? You've got great church attendance. You do all these religious rituals. You look like you've got it all together. You give 10%. Let's say you give 12%. Right? You sit in a good place so others can see. Right? You volunteer in the ministries. And Jesus says that's all work. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, when you get to heaven, Jesus says, in other parts of the Bible, I actually don't know you. You can be as religious as you want to and you've picked the worst possible way to end up in hell. The worst. We've got other people. If we talk about uh, my grandfather, uh, he doesn't like Jesus. He doesn't want to like Jesus. I haven't talked to him in a long time. Last time we talked to him, he said, if there were plane rides to hell, I'd get on. He's an angry dude. Uh, he knows where he's going. When he goes to hell, no weeping, no gnashing, right? He's like, this is where I want to be. I don't understand it. I'm like, dude, that's a bad choice. But then there will be these religious people and it will be shocking for you when you get to heaven to see who's in heaven and who's not. Because when Jesus talks about the afterlife, he talks about being in relationship with Jesus, not about your religious activity. Not about you being Presbyterian or being Methodist or being Catholic. Jesus doesn't really care. There's no membership cards. There's no like, hey, I did these three rituals. I said this prayer, I'm in. Jesus knows some people. And some people know Jesus. And then there's some people that know religious activity. And it will be shocking. There will be an incredible amount of people shocked as far as which line they're in. And then there will be a incredible number of people shocked to look across and see there's people in the other line that they didn't think were supposed to be in the other line. There will be this awkward moment if the lines are really long where you're standing there and you see someone and you're like, I don't know which line I'm in. <laughs> but then you just listen for the screaming. <laughs> That's a joke. (laughs) 
But there is, Jesus is not just saying to these religious people whose whole faith is built on their ancestry. My parents were Jewish. My parents' parents were Jewish. My parents were, went to church. My parents' parents went to church. We've always done this. This is who we are. We're good religious people. And Jesus is saying he doesn't care about your ancestry and neither should you. So here's a little bit of offense for you. A bunch of people you don't think are going to make it are going to make it. And here's more. Some of you, not going to make it. That sucks, huh? <laughs> because religion is so easy, I think. Like we make it seem like it's hard. But it's pretty easy to show up and look alright and do some activities. Alright? That's why we all graduate public school. You show up and do the things they ask you to do. You get out, right? Um, if you're graduating high school this year, congratulations. I'm sure it's really hard. All right? <laughs> but there, there, is, there is a certain amount. You're going to do well at your job if you show up and do what you're supposed to. You know what I'm saying? You just show up and do the things. It, that's, it's so easy. But having a relationship actually takes work. When we've been talking about marriage, some people have a view of their marriage, I show up, I do the things I'm supposed to. And they forget that there's a relationship that's supposed to be happening with the person they're sharing a bed with. This is the same kind of thing with Jesus. This is why the church's relationship with Jesus is described as a marriage, and the end in heaven is described as a great wedding feast. We'll get into more of the end times later, but I, this is important that you understand this. Don't think that because you show up a lot that you're good. We need to have relationship with Jesus, which we have through prayer, which we have through Bible reading, which we have through putting our faith and trust in Jesus, just like the centurion did, just like the guy with leprosy did. They walk up and say, Jesus, I'm putting my whole faith on you. I'm going to live my life your way, not my way. Third story. Jesus enters Peter's house. Peter's one of the disciples, one of the inner three disciples. And he saw his mother-in-law, Jesus' mother, or Peter's mother-in-law, not Jesus' mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And this is, quotes Isaiah 53, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So Jesus touches a guy with leprosy, heals a centurion's servant or son, and then uh, goes to Peter's house. Who Peter apparently lives in Capernaum. Peter and his brother Andrew, you know, hang out there. And Peter's married if you know the Bible, there is a very patient woman who's married to Peter. And uh, so he probably has a very patient mother-in-law. But she's got a fever. And Jesus goes in and touches the woman. And in their culture, in our culture, this is not radical at all. In their culture, that's a shocking statement. Because in the temple, there were actually courts. And the inner court was the court where the priests would go. And then outside of that was for Jewish males. Outside of that was for Jewish females. And outside of that was for Gentiles. And outside of that was for lepers. And Jesus touches the lepers. And then he serves Gentiles. And then he goes in and touches and hangs out with a woman. Someone disqualified from full worship in their religious service. In their religious system. 
Jesus is consistently doing the things that are not good for his ministry career. He's got these huge crowds following him and he should be organizing them into small groups and ministry teams. (laughs) And instead, he's going to people who don't belong, who won't fit in, and can't serve in their religious system. Jesus goes in. It's really great that they include that he heals the mother-in-law and then she gets up and starts serving. So she knows she wasn't just some lazy faker, you know, like, oh, I have a fever, I don't feel like cooking dinner, you know. Uh, She gets up and starts serving. And so Jesus just heals this woman. She doesn't ask for it. And Jesus does this. The other two healings are in public in front of everyone. Then Jesus goes into a home Everyone else is chilling out, grabbing something to eat. And Jesus is still the same guy. His public ministry matches his private ministry. Jesus carries integrity. Who he is in public is the same guy that he is with one of his best friend's mother-in-law. Same guy. He was probably tired. He had just walked down a mountain. He's gotten all the religious people riled up. And he goes in and he's still giving and he's still healing people. So then it ends like with this mass of people. Jesus apparently eats some dinner and then that evening they go out in the yard and everyone is bringing him people who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So Jesus now starts casting out demons. Now, I don't know if any of you do this, but if you pulled this in your small group, I'm betting I get an email. (laughs) Right? I'm betting if your life group starts doing exorcisms, we hear about it. (laughs) So Jesus now is hanging out with people and doing this crazy charismatic stuff. And the religious people are sitting on the sideline going, hold on a second there, Jesus. I've got a science textbook on what we should actually do. <laughs> like in our culture, this is, we solve things by, like we don't believe in this, our culture doesn't believe in this spiritual world, right? Like we believe that things are observed and things can be tested. And in Jesus' world, people are oppressed by demons. Matthew does make a distinction between people who are oppressed by demons and people who have an illness. I know there are some who think every bad thing that happens, it's the devil's fault. Or it's some demon, right? Sometimes you're sick because you're sick, right? Like you get a virus. Other times people are actually oppressed spiritually. We really like Jesus, right? Like he's cuddly. We watch the show of Jesus and we're like, he's a good guy. He's nice to people. And then he dies on the cross and that makes us mad because he's nice. But you know what all the religious people were doing when Jesus was dying on the cross? Celebrating. They were excited because Jesus was kind of screwing the system up. They had this nice religion thing going. It was organized. People were in groups. There were schedules. Things were working. And Jesus was inviting people who didn't belong, who they didn't want to hang out with, who were ceremonially unclean, who didn't like their religion. And he was condemning the people who were in the religion. The test of if you're religious, the easiest test, is what you do with Jesus. 
Is Jesus disruptive to your life? Could you just keep living your life if Jesus disagrees with it? If Jesus doesn't mess your life up, I would say that's a checkpoint you need to look at, your religious standing. Because religion fits in our life. Religion is a good system. Jesus messes with our heads. I wrote this on my blog last week. I think it was this week, on Tuesday. Um, I was reading through Galatians. And I believe some stuff about the end of the world that's kind of funny. Um, I I don't believe in dispensationalism. Like the Left Behind books, I think they're fun, but they're not true. Um, If you you were religious in the 90s, you read those. Um, I've read all of them, but the last one, just I'm holding out a rebellion. So... um, (laughs) And now they're making a Nicolas Cage movie. I'm way off topic, but who's not excited about that, you know? Um, so I, I believe these things, and I'm reading Galatians, I think the first or second chapter, and there's a verse in there that disagrees with my theology. And it makes me mad. Because I've already figured this out. And now I read a verse that now I can't believe the things that I wanted to believe that were so much fun. And I have a choice in that moment. Do I stick with my beliefs and ignore what the Bible says? Which is comfortable, which is good, which makes me feel good, makes me look good. It doesn't conform me to the image of Jesus. And this is some minor junk. You know what I mean? It's not like I discovered the Trinity or something or virgin birth. But there is this moment that all of us face when we're faced with situations, when we're faced with the scripture, where we make a decision. Am I going to stick with my religion, the thing that I made, or the thing that people made? Or am I going to go with Jesus? If you go with Jesus, you'll end up touching lepers. You'll end up going into unclean houses. You'll end up hanging out with people that you're not supposed to hang out with. That's the way it's going to go down. If you end up with Jesus... The people who want to come to see you will have demons and illnesses. Like the celebrities in the day didn't come to Jesus. The nut jobs came to Jesus. And if you're going to hang out with Jesus, this is the life that you've chosen. The life that's disrupted by grace and by mercy. Two quick observations. First one's this. This is the simple one. Jesus heals people. He actually heals people. It's easy to overlook that in this scripture. The first person he touches, heals. Second person, he just wills it. Third person, he touches. First person's based on their own faith. The second person is based on someone else's. Like he heals the boy because of the centurion's faith. The boy didn't say anything about Jesus. So he heals someone else on behalf of someone else's faith. And then he heals... A woman who doesn't even ask for healing. He just chooses to. Jesus heals. He carries the power to heal. And we ought to live as if Jesus has that power. After a Sermon on the Mount, the people remarked, Jesus teaches with authority. And Jesus then walks into a bunch of illnesses in people's life and acts with authority. And then we live and we pray like, Jesus, if you can, you know it'd be nice if you did this. He can. Like whatever you're thinking, he can. 
It's his choice to or not to based on what's best for you. If you're like, Jesus, if you can, keep us safe on our... He can keep you safe on your dang trip. Act like it. Be demanding. Walk up and say, Jesus, listen, I know how this dang thing works. I supervise people at work. You supervise people. Do this thing. Jesus looks at that kind of faith and says, now we're talking. Now we can do something. Now we can move forward. But we live as if Jesus is this like sensitive guy who's in this big battle with the big bad devil. And oh, we don't know who's going to win. Jesus. You ever, like, if Jesus is God and he lives eternally and the devil isn't, do you know who made him? Jesus. Like it's the, when they have arguments, that's the ultimate like own, you know? Like, who, yeah. Where'd you come from? Oh yeah. I made that. But yet we live with this lack of understanding of power. When we pray, like if you're sick, the Bible says, get the elders of your church together and pray, dang it. Like, do that thing. If you have someone else who's ill, pray like you own it. Pray like as if Jesus can actually do something. Now, there are thousands of ill, sick, hungry people in Jesus' day. And he doesn't fix all of it. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't get why one person gets cancer and lives and another person gets cancer and dies. I don't know. I don't understand why God's doing the things he's doing. But when I talk to God, it's not like I'm talking to him as if he can do something or can't do something. When I'm talking to God, it's like he can do this thing. It's like he carries authority. When I live in the way of Jesus, it's like this is the way to live because this is what Jesus said. It's not what Jesus thought. Hey, this might be a good idea. This is it. Jesus carries the authority in being God. Second observation is that when Jesus brings healing to the world, the effect goes on to the world and the effect that goes on to Jesus is only suffering when the Gospel of Matthew quotes Isaiah 53 at the end here, uh, where it says, He took on our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus takes the bad in our life and takes it on himself. When Jesus was beginning his movement, his redemptive movement in the world, he did not do what a lot of other messianic figures did, gather a bunch of people and go into the wilderness. This is a very popular church growth method. Let's gather a group of people and separate ourselves from the world because it's safe. This is how you make a good religion or a good cult. You get away from everything. Jesus' model is to leave the mountain and walk down into all the people that don't belong and aren't religious. And then Jesus enters their world and when Jesus touches the guy with leprosy, it doesn't make Jesus unclean. It makes the unclean person clean. It's a completely different view of what the Christian life is. When you enter into an irreligious or a secular world, the secular world isn't meant to change you. You change the secular world. The way the secular world changes you is that you bear its illnesses and you bear its pain and you bear its suffering. 
The role of the followers of Jesus in our world is to bear the pain of our world. The book of Romans says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you deserved it, Christ died for you. Before you earned it. And before the world, the secular world, earns it or deserves it, the followers of Jesus bear pain on their behalf. We enter into the world. Now we've got this, um, there's, there's other approaches and there's all sorts of different ways of interacting with culture. But when Jesus thinks about interacting with culture, he confronts religion and he enters in with secular people. Here's what this means. And I say this all the time and I need you to believe this. Wherever you work, and most of us have jobs at secular places, businesses, right? Wherever you go to school, a lot of us go to secular schools, right? When you walk in, Jesus doesn't carry a distinction in his head, is this a Christian place or a secular place? Jesus walks in and redeems the place. Jesus walks into a place where Christianity doesn't belong, where Jesus doesn't belong, and makes it a place where Jesus does belong. This means your non-Christian job, if you're a follower of Jesus, don't tell your boss, but it just became a Christian company because of you. Your school, where they've outlawed prayer, I don't understand how they do that. Because <laughs> God can hear, I can pray. <laughs> Nobody's ever got shot for that in America. <laughs> when you walk in there, You've made it a Christian school. At least around you. When we put the grove in Albany, don't tell the mayor. Well, I don't even know the mayor. Uh, does anybody? <laughs> All of a sudden, Albany's a Christian town. All of a sudden, America's a Christian country. All of a sudden, this planet is a Christian planet because Jesus visited it. That doesn't change lots, except it means there's this giant group of people on this planet who are here to bear the suffering and to bear the illnesses and to bear the pain of all the people who don't have a relationship with God. This means when I meet non-Christians, it's awesome. It's like because they are why I, I exist. Tell me your pain, tell me your suffering because it's my role in this world to bear that. My role in this world is to make your life awesome and my life suffering. I don't get it, but this is awesome. This is why we love people who are outside of the bounds of Christianity. The people that are too liberal for you, the people who are too conservative for you, you go to them. The people who belong to a political party that you don't think Christians could possibly belong to. Like a Canadian one. You go to them. And you bear their pain. You bear their suffering. You pray to God on their behalf with the authority that God carries in their life. Because the centurion showed they don't need to have faith to receive the blessing of God. They just need to know somebody who's willing to pray for them that way. Like when we start seeing the blessing of God on our city, it's not because our city did something to deserve it. It's because the Christians start dang acting like they deserve it. 
No, acting like Jesus even before they deserved Like Jesus died for us when we didn't deserve it. He acted and gave to us like we were better than we are. And so we treat our town like it's better than it is. It's Albany. But we talk about it like it's Albany. <laughs> it is the perfect city. But when you follow Jesus, if Jesus carries authority... He brings healing to your life as an individual. But then he brings healing to the world through you. And this morning, you might be sitting in a place where you need healing. And the encouragement is that Jesus carries that authority. Or maybe someone close to you is carrying that authority. Or maybe you're in a place where you're like, I don't understand why I work at the place I do. I don't understand why I'm in the family I'm in. Like I just, my family is so messed up. It's because Jesus brings healing to a world that doesn't even know him. That doesn't believe in him. That doesn't follow the rules. That doesn't do the religious stuff. All those people around you that seem to have leprosy and you don't want to touch them. They seem to be Gentiles and hanging out with them would make the religious people talk about you. All of that is your gift from God to be Jesus in the world.